0: Good morning. Uh, I spent three years living in downtown Chicago when I was a student at Bible College. And um, Chicago, like any big city, if you walk down any of the main streets in the downtown area, you are likely to be approached by someone who's homeless, who needs money, someone begging for money. And, And when I arrived in the city, the very first time I was there with all of my things to take up into the dorms. Uh, I was approached almost as soon as I got out of the car. Do you have some change that you can give to me? And at the time, I had like a quarter in my pocket. That's all I had. My wallet was actually packed into one one of the suitcases. And so I gave him the quarter that I had, and that was it. And he thanked me and went on his way. It didn't take me long, though, living in the city and walking around the streets of the city to develop a certain um, hardness toward those with needs. You get approached so many times as I'd be walking along, people say, hey, could you give me a little money here or there? And as I was walking down the street, I just learned what a lot of people in big cities know, that when you're walking, just look straight ahead. Don't give people eye contact. Someone calling out to you, just ignore them. They're kind of like invisible people along the side of the road. you got to get going and doing what you're doing, and just, just don't worry about those other people. But something changed my senior year in terms of my view of those in need. We had an assignment where we were told, we we want you to go out and meet some people that are living in the streets and, and hear their story. And so I walked a couple blocks from the school and I came across this guy and He was was living in a field in between two buildings. Apparently, there used to be a building where he was too, but the building was knocked down, and now it was just a a field with overgrown weeds, and there was glass, I could tell, and and stones and whatever. And he just lived back there with all of his possessions. And I told him I had this assignment and wondered if I could ask him his story. And I was immediately surprised by how articulate the guy was. It was clear to me that he was very educated, and then he began to explain his story. He said, well, I, was a, I think it was either a doctor or a dentist, he said, and I had a nice home, and I was married, and, um, you know, life was good for me. But he said, I, I had an affair. And my wife left me, taking a lot of my stuff with her, but she left me. And after she left, he said, I took up drinking, and I, I began to drink every night. And for a while, I, I did okay in, in the workplace. I, I could function, but in time, it kind of caught up with me, and they began to say, listen, you can't come into work like this. But I didn't change. And then the day came where they said, you're fired. And without this source of income, he lost his home, Now he'd lost everything. He lost his job, he lost his money, he lost his wife, lost everything he had. And for the next couple years, he was living on the streets of Chicago, and that was his story. Now, this assignment had a profound impact on me, even though he admitted that he had done some things that kind of led him down this path. I think it was the first time in my life I saw him as being a person, Not just just somebody on the side of the road, a beggar or something. You know, sometimes when you assign a name to someone, you say, well, that's a homeless person. You assign a name to someone, and then you you really don't have to deal with them as being a real person. And for the first time, I'm looking into the eyes of someone, and I hear his story. And I kind of did a a work in my heart. Some time ago, I read a book by a guy named Martin Buber called I and Thou. He was a a German philosopher that lived in the 20s, and this book has now been translated into English. It's not an easy read. I'm not encouraging you to go out and get it. Uh, It's one of those books you have to read every line like two or three times, then you're still wondering, do I get it? But I did get the heart of what the book was about. He was making the point that when we go through life, we do not view people as people. We view them as things, or he called it an it. And, you know, if you can view someone just as an it, it's easy to just bypass them, to just ignore them. And he gave examples. If he were giving modern-day examples, if he lived in the here and now, for example, he might say that when I'm driving, I tend to view everybody on the road between me and my destination as an obstacle. I'm going here, I'm here, and you're kind of in my way and move out of the way. And it doesn't occur to me that those are real people with with lives and going through real struggles. And so when they delay at that light, the light turns green and they're still sitting there and my inclination is to say, go. I don't know what's in their heart or their mind. But we do this all the time. We don't really view people as, as people. We view them as an it. And so a, someone who's working a job, for example, as a boss, might view the employees as its. It's just somebody to get done your work and you don't look at the humanity. And then a program like Undercover Boss comes along. The boss gets, you know, a disguise on, goes in and begins to interact with the other employees and begins to learn some of their stories. And before the show is done, I'm not a crier, but I find myself crying at that, like, oh, that's so... They didn't realize the person was working so hard and didn't realize all the things they were going through. And the boss oftentimes says, I'll take care of that education. I'll take care of that bill. And it's so touching because it was for the first time they saw them as a person and not just a means to an end. And so the person that's handling your groceries is, is a person. The person who's waiting on your table is a person. And today we're going to continue our series, as Adam said, relationship goals. We talked about Selflessness. Josh talked about that. Last week, I talked about forgiveness. These are kind of qualities that are really important in relationships. Today, I want to talk about kindness, being kind to other people. The Apostle Paul was writing to the Christ followers who lived in the city of Colossae, and he wrote in Colossians 3.12, he said, Therefore, God's chosen ones, holy and loved, put on heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience In the original greek language in which the new testament is is written that phrase put on is very descriptive it describes putting on clothing that's the 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 image that paul wanted us to come to come to our minds when we thought about putting on these things You, you wear it like clothing heartfelt compassion kindness humility, gentleness, and patience, so that when people see us, that's what they see. That's what we're reflecting back in their presence. That's what we're wearing, and it kind of rubs off on them. Now, the word kind, I don't know what it means to you. It means different things to different people. The old English word for kind, actually, it comes from the word kin. It means family. You know, you. See, what would happen if, if we would view everybody as family. I mean, people created in the image of God. When I referred to that book earlier, I and Thou, what Buber suggests takes place when two people who are created in the image of God connect in a very meaningful way. He says it's like a divine moment. The person becomes a, a thou. Something, there's just some, something sacred about connecting with people when we, we see people and we treat them as people created in the image of God, people for whom Christ died. But there are a lot of ideas wrapped up in this word. If you do a study in the New Testament, the word kindness is not very different than the word compassion. It's not very different from other words out there, even mercy. Uh, Four main words that are usually wrapped into this idea of kindness are these, and they all begin with G, the word gentleness. When you treat someone gently, you know, you're being kind to them. Goodness, you know, when you do things out of the goodness of your heart, we say it, or someone, you know, the type of person that will give you the shirt off their back. I know some people like that. They're just good, what we call good people, not good in a moral sense of being right before God, but good in the sense of the way they treat other people. Goodness. Generosity is the third one when we use our wealth or our time. When we give to other people, that's, that's being kind. And then graciousness, when we're gracious to other people showing kindness to them. I think our Foster West Virginia Initiative fits into this category. Now, what I hope we walk away here today is with this idea that regardless of the circumstance in which you find yourself, make it your goal to always be kind. Regardless of the interaction you have, make it your goal to be kind, whether it's through gentleness, goodness, generosity, or grace that you extend to other people, make it your goal to always be kind. Now, today I want to look at a story. It's found in the book of Luke, chapter 18. I want us to notice about this story, the example of Jesus. And before the story's done, we're going to see that he did three things that I think will help us be kind. Because I kind of see, see three steps here. The first one is this, that Jesus noticed the person in need. We'll see that he stopped. He stopped, which is what we often don't do. It's what I wasn't doing in Chicago. I wouldn't stop for anyone. I wouldn't even give a a look over there. He noticed. Second, he had compassion. Something was in the heart of Jesus that when he saw someone, his heart was moved toward that person. And then third, he connected in a meaningful way. He expressed kindness. In our story, it's in the form of healing. But connecting with others could be as simple as as a smile. It could be as simple as a compliment. Saying something nice to someone. It, It doesn't have to be Something that's, that's big, it could be just the little touches that we have with people, where we acknowledge them, and we have compassion in our heart toward them, regardless of their circumstances, and then we connect in them in a meaningful way. And so I'd like to read Luke chapter 18, we're going to begin in verse 35, and we read, "'As he, Jesus, drew near Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the road begging.'" Hearing a crowd passing by, he inquired what this meant. Jesus, the Nazarene, is passing by, they told him. So he called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then those in front told him to keep quiet. But he kept crying out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and commanded that he be brought to him. When he drew near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, he said, I want to see Receive your sight, Jesus told him. Your faith has healed you. Instantly, he could see, and he began to follow, glorifying God. All the people, when they saw it, gave gave praise to God. Now, how did the people initially respond to this guy? How did they view him? I'd suggest they viewed him as you're an inconvenience, you're you're, you're a bother, you're a nuisance. Would you please keep quiet? Now, they did answer his question when he asked, who's, you know, what's all the commotion about? They, they were kind enough to do that. But, but they just wanted to silence him. And one of the things that strikes me every time I read this section is the last sentence in the story. It says, all the people, when they saw it, when they saw that Jesus healed the guy, they gave praise to God. And the thought that occurs to me is how they almost missed out. Because of their insistence that this guy be quiet, they almost missed out on a a wonderful miracle that Jesus was about to perform. Let's talk a little bit about this story because I think there's a little bit more to it that meets the eye. Of course, Jesus is traveling along. He's with his disciples. There's an absolutely huge crowd there. And this uh, man who can't see hears the commotion again. He asks who it is, what's it about? And they say, it's Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Jesus, of course, was raised in the town of Nazareth. It was, it was the type of town you can't imagine anyone of significance would be raised in this town, but he's called Jesus of Nazareth is the way they describe him as passing by. And when, Je- and when this guy heard it, he said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, he begins to shout that, Jesus, son of David. That um, shouting is, is a huge statement of his faith. He recognized and saw. It's interesting, he's a blind guy, but he saw what the crowd did not. He believed, first of all, that Jesus could heal him. Obviously, he'd heard stories about Jesus. He must have heard how Jesus had healed other people, and so he he believed that Jesus could do it, but then he calls him the son of David, and what, what I'm saying there is that he recognized that Jesus was the Messiah. I don't believe anyone in the crowd saw at this point what this guy saw, Jesus, son of David. You're from the family line of David. You're the Messiah. That's why he believed that that Jesus could take care of him, that Jesus could heal him. And when Jesus made the statement, your faith has healed you, the literal translation is your faith has saved you. And I just want to make this side note here that You know, our confidence is only as good as the object in which it's placed. This guy received his sight. He was saved or healed because he believed who Jesus was and what Jesus was able to do. And the same thing is true for us in a a spiritual sense. When we understand who Jesus was and is the Son of God and God the Son, who came into this world to die in our place and for our sin, and he rose again from the dead, defeating sin and death, That he's the savior of the world. When we call out to him, it's the faith implied in the statement, save me, we're saved in a spiritual sense. This guy experienced, of course, a physical healing, and I would suggest a spiritual healing as well, as we'll see in a minute. But the text says he began yelling and, and Dr. Vincent, a Greek scholar, says about the word yelling, it means more than just yelling. It actually means shrieking. <laughs> I mean, this, this guy was just screaming his head off. And so that, that's really the image. And suddenly when I think of that, this guy's just screaming. He doesn't, of course, maybe know where Jesus is in relation to him, but he's screeching, he's screaming. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. The crowd is irritated, and maybe I understand a little bit why. Would you just be quiet, you know? I have a feeling I would have, if I were in the crowd, done the same thing. And this is kind of the problem when it comes to kindness is that we, we view life through our own comfort, our own, I don't know, our lens. Life is okay for us, and so we don't care about the person over here. If you just say, we well, are just a blind guy, you know, you can discount him just a little bit, put him over here. Just be quiet. You belong on the side over here, not in the, on, not in the center with what Jesus is wanting to do. But Jesus heard the guy, and and he stopped. And again, I think this is the first step to kindness, stopping. Now, I'm not suggesting, by the way, we stop every time. And there are times when it's not appropriate to help someone, at least. I think we always show kindness. There's a certain way in which we view people. But the starting point here for Jesus was that he stopped. And then when the man was brought over... He asked the guy the question, what do you want me to do for you? Of course, Jesus knew the answer to the question. I mean, you ask a blind guy, what do you want me to do for you? I think the answer is kind of obvious, I'd like to see. It does raise the question, why did Jesus ask the question? And as I've reflected on it, I've concluded two things were probably true, maybe more. One is that sometimes it's important for us to articulate our need. In the book of James, we read, you have not because you ask not. And I think there's some things we won't receive in prayer because we don't stop to pray. What is it that you want? And so Jesus asked the question. I want you to say it. Even though Jesus knows, of course, what we want. God knows what you want before you pray. But we're still told, ask, ask. And so maybe that's part of the reason. But also, I think in the example of Jesus, he was being an example for us to follow here. What do you want me to do for you? And I say this as an example because that's a question I don't always want to ask. You know, when I'm aware of a need, I don't always want to ask the question, what would you like for me to do for you? Because as soon as you ask that question... You're opening the door to the fact that they might actually want you to do something, and so it's just easier to say, oh, I'm sorry that you're in this situation, but not to ask the question, is there anything I can do? But Jesus was a model of this. What would you like me to do? And he stepped in there to take care of the need. Now, this is the story in a nutshell. A crowd is with Jesus. They, they're irritated by this guy that's calling out to be healed. Jesus is willing to stop and listen to him, and then Jesus encountered him and ended up healing him, and that's the story, but there's a little bit more to the story. Two other gospel writers also talked about this story, and they include a couple details that I think are just kind of flesh it out a little bit. One of them was Matthew. In Matthew's account of the same story, he actually mentions that there were two beggars, not just one. That, that Jesus was walking by in the crowd, and there were two beggars there. He wasn't alone. Now, sometimes people look at something like this, and they say, oh, that's a contradiction, you know. Luke said there was one, and Matthew says there were two, and so they both can't be right. No, they, they both are right. Uh, there's a reason why Luke and Mark both focused on just one of them, as we'll see in a minute. There's a, there's a reason why, but it's not a contradiction, But Matthew adds a word that was not found in Luke's accounting of this. It's found in Matthew 20, verse 34. We read, moved with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes. Immediately they could see and they followed him. And suddenly we get a glimpse into Jesus' heart. See, Luke didn't mention that, that... He saw the guy, and suddenly he was moved with compassion. This is why I'm saying sometimes we need to stop, but then there needs to be a work that's done in our hearts. And, and I have prayed many times before, God, I need a heart of compassion, because I sometimes I just don't always have a heart of compassion. We want to be the kind of people who can rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who re- weep. We want to be ones who can enter into what people are suffering. And Jesus, often we read in the Gospels, was filled with compassion. He just wasn't touched by it. He saw the need and he said, I'm so sorry. You know, he, he could really emphasize or empathize with what this person was going through, what it must be like to be blind and not be able to see. You were created with eyes, but you can't use them. And his heart was moved. But then the gospel writer, Mark, adds another detail to the story. In Mark chapter 10, 46 and 47, let me read the verses again. It says, they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples in a large crowd, Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the road. When he heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene, he began to cry out, son of David, Jesus, have mercy on me. Now, here in this, he's called a beggar. And again, when, the moment you put a tag on someone, even if it's a true tag, the moment you put a tag on them, it's easy to discount them. You know, we see this a lot in politics. You call someone a conservative and then whatever. You call someone a liberal. You know, you could sideline people. Oh, they're just this or they're that. And, and so this was a beggar. And it explains part of the reason why maybe the crowd said, you know, you're just a beggar. But, of course, the main thing about this that's so significant about Mark's recounting of the stories, he gives the guy's name. His name is Bartimaeus. He's the son of Timaeus. Why would you do that? Why would Mark include that detail? Well, he would do it because the readers knew who the guy was, which is why Luke also focused on just one of them because they knew who it was. Luke was writing to people that knew the story. Mark gives us the guy's name. This is, you know, this is Bartimaeus. He's in the church. See, the story indicated that they followed Jesus from this point, began to follow him. But now I realize this is somebody that was in the church. This is someone that for the years to come when people would say, hey, would you, Bartimaeus, tell your story of how you were healed by Jesus? But in terms of what we're talking about here today, one point I want to make related to it is the fact that he had a name. Every person has a name. And again, I think that's kind of a starting point to realize that everybody everybody alive has been created in the image of God. Every person alive is someone for whom Christ died, and everyone has a name, something that identifies them. It's not just a blind beggar anymore. It's it's a kind named Bartimaeus, and everyone you run into is someone who has a name. Now, Jesus consistently saw people as people. The stories about Jesus, he always stopped and recognized them as being people. Remember the story, for example, where some parents wanted to bring the children to Jesus. Jesus, would you take these children and bless them and pray over them? And the disciples said, stay away from Jesus. He doesn't have time for children. You put them in the category, they're just children, just children. Jesus said, you better let them come to me such as the kingdom of heaven is made up of people, children. That's how you get into heaven. You become like a child recognizing your need, reaching out to a savior. But Jesus had compassion and he took those children in his arm and he blessed them. That's how Jesus viewed everybody. Other occasions, I remember occasion in Matthew chapter 15 where the crowd was kind of hungry. Verse 32. We read, now Jesus summoned his disciples and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they've already stayed with me three days and have nothing to eat. I don't want to send them away hungry, otherwise they might collapse on the way. Now, if you look at the other gospel accounts, you realize the disciples said to Jesus, you need to just send them away. They need to go get food. If they chose to follow you for three days and didn't bring enough food, that's on them. You know, let's get rid of them. That was the perspective of the disciples, but not Jesus. It, It says again, I have compassion on them because he saw the need. And his heart was moved toward the need. That's what we're talking about, having a heart that moves toward the need. So what do we do with this? Well, I think so often, first of all, I don't think we notice people, and I don't think we notice needs. We just don't notice them. I read about a study some time ago. Uh, it was just a fascinating study, and I've thought of it often, where uh, the, the authors of the study sent a researcher out to talk with a complete stranger. And so the re- researcher went up to someone and ga- engaged them in a conversation, but then the author of the study created a diversion, a distraction over here. So that the stranger turned away for a moment, and when they turned away, they replaced the researcher with a different one. Who would continue the conversation as if nothing had happened? And they wanted to see whether or not the person noticed the change. And time and time again, the answer was no. They replaced the person and the, they didn't even notice that I'm talking to a different person. And sometimes they replaced it with someone of the opposite sex. It was they were talking to a girl, now it's a guy. Can you imagine? You're talking with someone for five minutes and then they turn around and it's now a girl and you don't notice. I would argue we don't notice many times. And part of it is just starting to notice people, and part of it is, I think, when we're with people, being really present, which is, I think, hard to do. Be present with people, and then to have compassion. Jesus always had compassion. That's why he was accused all the time, why do you eat with these people? He hung around less desirable people in society because he cared, he had mercy, he had compassion on people. So I want to encourage us to do these three things. Number one is, again, pay attention, really start seeing the people around you, not as just someone that's serving you or whatever they're doing or a driver, but really seeing them as a person. Second, I encourage you to pray for a heart of compassion if it doesn't come naturally. Now, some of you are just good at this. There's some of you just melt with compassion, I find I'm not that way. You know, sometimes I think we're so busy that we just don't have time to show compassion. And then I want to encourage you to look for opportunities to connect, to reach in there. Be friendly, be kind, give a smile, sometimes help if there's a need. And do it unconditionally, which I want to talk a little bit about next week. I have a couple friends of mine that when they go to a restaurant, you know, you oftentimes will give a tip based on the service you receive. And... And I've been with a couple people that the, the waiter or the waitress did not do a good job. They just ignored the table and they did, the service wasn't good. But I've been with a couple friends that I was eating with that said, I'm going to give a larger tip this time, not a smaller one. I say, what? Well, because they're obviously having a bad day. You know, I'm not going to continue the cycle. And they would turn around and do good instead of bad. And we have opportunities all the time to help people. Let me close with a, a short story and a poem. Some of you are familiar with the Russian writer Tolstoy. He describes a time that he was walking down the road and um, someone came up asking for money, begging for money, and he reached in his pockets and realized he didn't have anything. And so he said, my brother, I, I have nothing. I would give it to you if I did. And the guy responded to him with a face that just lit up. The beggar just had a big smile on his face. He said, you've already given me more than I asked for because you called me brother. I really think that kind of captures the heart of what we're talking about here, the way in which we view other people. And then let me close with this poem by Longfellow, famous poem about the fact that kindness is something that needs to grow in our hearts and then produce fruit outward. He said, kind hearts are the gardens, which things can grow, you know, kind hearts. Kind thoughts are the roots. Kind words are the flowers. Kind deeds are the fruits. He wrote, take care of your garden and keep out the weeds. Fill it up with sunshine. And then he defines it as this way, kind words and kind deeds. It's sunshine in this world. Let's pray. Father, you've been so gracious and kind and merciful and compassionate to us. I think how that's how you revealed yourself to Moses. I'm gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. And that's the kind of God you are. And Lord, we just want to imitate that, Lord, by your grace and with your spirit within us, Lord, to see people through the lens that you see them through to realize that you have compassion and love for people, and to realize that we are instruments of your kindness and love to other people. Give us the grace to apply this to the circumstances we face in the days ahead, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.